Welcome to Legal Griefing, a show where a game dev and a lawyer cross-examine courtroom video games. Please don't take our marital nonsense as legal advice. I'm Kara Herbitz. I'm your resident lawyer today. And I'm Kaylin Sandal, Kara's wife and also a game dev. And we are here today on our very first episode to talk about the very beginning of Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. That's right. I first played the Ace Attorney series many years ago. This is my first time revisiting it in well over a decade. But we've been meaning to get Kara to watch it for a long time or play it. Um, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be uh, part of the process. It's true. I first played it yesterday. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. We um, it was a time. got to meet Larry Butts, who That's... was your very first client in the very first game. That's right. And that is um, teaching you how to play the game as well. So there are a few different things happening in this particular courtroom scene, which we'll talk about. But let's start with the opening narrative. I just touched on who the client is. It's Larry Butts, a childhood friend of ours, who for some reason is the reason we became an attorney. But we don't know why that is, because we don't learn it after representing him. This series is really, really into dropping some information out of context and not providing that context for a long time. Which is good to know. Yeah. And now I know. Now you know. Okay, so so that's who the client is. Who's working on this case, Kaylee? Well, of course, Phoenix Wright himself, the protagonist and viewpoint character of the series. Generally, if we see someone thinking that is not audible to other characters, it's going to be Nick, which is his nickname used by many of the characters, first by Larry Butts and, and, and later by some of his uh, colleagues. In addition, his, his boss, Mia Fay, is accompanying him in uh, an incredibly professional outfit, <laughs> and you, just, can, you can super tell she's law chief by the outfit she's oh wearing. Oh yeah, law. She's <laughs> yeah, which is she's, totally a thing. Also, law chief is is a thing. Um, and as we're going to touch on later, uh, the rules of Phoenix Wright courts, or as I like to call it, battle court, uh, is very different from what we're used to. That is very true. On a related note, um, talking about how we prepared for this case. We didn't! We did basically no case prep before it was trial time. We never gathered evidence, we didn't really interview our client at any point, and uh, we also ignored signs of a competency issue, which I'll talk about more we'll, um, in a little bit. We'll do it live! We'll do it live! But how did doing it live go, Kaylee? It went fine. Yeah, it was surprisingly... Eventually. Went surprisingly well, all things considered, even though it was a tutorial case and we messed a bunch of stuff up. I mean, we didn't mess anything up. It's that it's that uh, everybody had to take a really long time to get to any given conclusion. It's true. Because it was the tutorial case, and they needed to make sure we understood the entire process. Also, this is a process that permits uh, testimony mulligans, which we'll talk about. Yeah, those are great. And also, you have to take a quiz before you start. Yes, also that. <laughs> Just like a real lawyer. Okay. So that that is our opening narrative. Let's move on to talk about the game aspects. Uh, Kaylee, tell me about the game. What were things that you think were well done? Phoenix Wright is a genre of game called a visual novel. Mind you, it does pull in some elements from adventure games uh, and the like, but it, it was noteworthy at the time of its release for being a particularly game-like visual novel. Many visual novels are more linear. Um, some 
you know, allow you to, to influence the ending based on your actions. But for the most part, a lot of the more popular ones are, are more about like stat grinding, dialogue decisions and the like. This is a game. You are, you are solving puzzles effectively. Every time you need to find the correct evidence based on another character's testimony, you uh, have items in your inventory representing evidence that you can you, that you can bring up as an objection or a take that if you're not if you're not cross-examining. I actually really liked the um, contradicting evidence mechanic in this game, by the way. I thought it was a very novel way to do objections and cross-examination. It's fun. You will, like, we'll, we'll be exposed to some of its brittleness going forward, but that is the main mechanic of the game. It is, it is at its heart, a visual novel that uses the puzzle conceits of, like, a classic Sierra adventure game or something like that. Sometimes the logic is a little tortured. Sometimes the information provided is purposefully obscured so that you can have a puzzle at all. The sensibilities are very similar. Yeah. And we saw that in this case, actually, where um, mm-hmm. the initially the murder weapon was a statue, and then yes. we later learned it was a clock. It was not entered into evidence initially as a clock, but then it was amended because it <laughs> turned out that it was a clock. Which is totally a thing that happens in yeah. real cases, by the way. You can just amend the evidence at, that you entered the first time. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> On a related note, um, talking about the case itself, and things that the game did well. There were these great little glimmers of accuracy that popped up as we were playing, which I just found really entertaining. Um, At one point, Phoenix Wright objects to something regarding uh, what his client has learned in, um, this is actually during cross-examination, not, or excuse me, during direct examination, not during cross-examination. The uh, prosecutor who brought the defendant as his own uh, witness, by the way, which is, uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. While the prosecutor is doing direct examination of Larry Butts, he tells Larry something and then asks him, what do you think of that? And Phoenix Wright objects for relevance. He says it's not relevant to the case at hand what Larry Butts thinks about information he's just learned, which is absolutely correct. And also objection for relevance is a real objection that you can use in courtroom contexts. So it's cool to see that happen. There were also um, a lot of narrative jumps that happened throughout the case that um, are kind of accurately showing how one would stack up the building blocks of an evidentiary body moving forward. Like kind of usually cases aren't slam dunk. You have to add piece by piece by piece to document the narrative that you're trying to show. And the game actually did show Phoenix Wright doing that. He adds piece by piece by piece. um, And the puzzle mechanic really lends itself to that. Yeah, that that's legit. I mean, you know, that that butts up against a bunch of other things that are not at all realistic, such as the prevalence and ease of a what what the game thinks of as a turnabout, uh, wherein the defendant is not only acquitted, another uh, like the perpetrator is found and arrested. Uh, this happens a lot in the Phoenix. Okay, games. wait, wait, but we have a segment for this. Oh, we do. <laughs> Which we're about to get to. Let's talk about objections. What oh. are things that? Uh, let's start with the game piece, Kaylee. What are things that don't work well from a design perspective? Well, obviously, like the way that the game relies on withholding information from the player makes its boundaries very uh, bright and distinct. This is a, a fairly linear game, right? You're solving puzzles. Sometimes when you place boundaries where they don't need to be or you make it likely that the uh, the player is going to run into something or if the player goes to get a sandwich and then realizes how tortured the logic that they just went through is, 
that can cause them to feel kind of like trapped. Phoenix Wright, this, the whole series runs into this sometimes. And while you don't end up getting stuck, which is nice, you do end up feeling pretty unsatisfied when you eventually brute force your way through. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense given the way it's structured. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of on rails in a way that is frustrating if it doesn't quite work. Also, I do think that there are ways in which um, cultural differences between media manifest here. It's pretty clear that Phoenix Wright is meant to be a kind of exaggerated shonen anime style story where we're meant to kind of just like swallow the the unrealistic bits and just take them as given, which is more difficult when like the court system is so like blatantly horrific and dystopian <laughs> when you actually learn how it operates. I mean, I haven't learned that yet, and it's already a thing I want to talk about. Yeah, you already brought that up. You know, it, it doesn't really get any better. Um, you so, don't say. <laughs> so, like, you know, really, it's a soap opera. It's a soap opera where sometimes people go to jail. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Well, you just gave me a great lead-in to talk about what about the legal depictions made me twitch while playing this. Fun. As you just said, this entire system, if it were a real court system, would be incredibly dystopian. Mm -hmm. Most of the protections we have in place within this country um, that still exist are there for a reason and get at things that this game is directly depicting. So first of all, as I mentioned earlier, Phoenix Wright does no case prep whatsoever. He's learning new things as his client testifies in direct examination. The fact that the prosecutor even can call the defendant of a murder trial as his witness and directly examine him is very counter to how cool Ameri- and normal. Very counter to how American court very systems cool work. Larry Butts, uh, if if this were a more um, traditional American trial, would probably be pleading the fifth and not would not be compellable as a witness for testimony at all by the prosecutor. He could choose to testify if he had things he wanted to say. And given what we know of the character of Larry Butts, he probably would want to. But then he would be called as a defense witness. He would be considered. He it would be Phoenix doing the direct examination. The prosecutor would be doing cross-examination. And we sort of see this play out in the game itself because the prosecutor, and this is another thing that I think is very dystopian, the prosecutor is just introducing information while the defendant of his own murder trial is in direct examination as his witness. That is a giant no-no. It is such a linchpin of the series. Like, like, it's so much of the plot relies on that. And, like, that is not... There's a reason you're not allowed to compel that (laughs) under the American legal system. So that's so that's one thing that the prosecutor is able to introduce information on direct while he's examining the, the defendant of a murder trial. Second of all, the fact that nobody seems to have seen or reviewed any of the exhibits before this point. Mm-hmm. Some of the exhibits, um, Phoenix very clearly is kind of like, oh yeah, okay, that's good. Good to know. And he's like waiting to see what Larry says while he's testifying. He's like, at one point he's like learning what happened. Everything is just terribly surprising. Every, yeah, he did he clearly did zero prep. Which I guess is not surprising, because this is his first ever case. He's been made first chair of a murder trial as his first ever case. And then his immediate boss, who is the law chief, is second chair just kind of watching him and being like, do you have this? Oh, you don't got this at all. But I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to step forward. Well, she does interrupt that one time. She, like, interrupts and then tells you to kind of get it together. Yeah, she's basically like, Phoenix... 
Phoenix, you absolute slob. You don't know what you're doing. But I'm not going to step forward she and said it, first chair. Except Get your shit together. She said it in, in a kind of like shonen anime, don't worry, you can do it, we're behind you all the way sort of Yes, manner. it was very shonen. You are absolutely correct. On a related note, not only is this Phoenix's first case, there have been no pretrial conferences. This system apparently just Those doesn't are, do that. No, That's not don't. a thing here. Yeah. And we do learn at one point when they enter the uh, victim, Cindy's passport into evidence, this is supposed to be the United States. So all of this is happening in some kind of like dystopian post-constitutional United yeah, States. Yeah, we get the impression that it's somewhere on the West Coast. I have to tell you, that does not age well, given where we are right oh, no. now oh, in our no. larger political sphere. Oh, no. But that's okay. So so all of those things happen. Then perhaps because of the fact that it's Phoenix's first case and it's a murder trial and the client has no apparent ability to plead the fifth at his own murder trial, the judge starts with a court quiz where he uh, proceeds to ask Phoenix whether he knows things about this case, which I suppose it would be understandable if Phoenix didn't know things because he's done zero prep. Yeah, yeah. So he knows his defendant's name, which, good it's, job, Phoenix. You've like, known this guy since grade school. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you were going to say? Oh, I was just going to say it's kind of like doing draft picks in a Magic the Gathering tournament. Like, you know, you don't really know what you've got going on when you go in. You learn as you go and you, and you do it live. Yes, which is definitely a great way to handle someone's murder trial. <laughs> But so he has this court quiz, he, which is how you learn about, it was actually a clever case mechanic, right? Because it's how you learn about the case record and mm-hmm. how you enter evidence, how you learn about the contradicting um, during cross-examination. But it's extremely surreal from a legal perspective to watch a judge be like, okay, I want to see what you know. I just want to make sure you're okay to handle this case. Yeah, yeah. It's wild. <laughs> I guess it's better than not doing that. It is better than not doing that. I will grant. In this particular situation. I will grant. And then, but it's interesting that he does that because then when someone doesn't know something in this court or blatantly misrepresents uh, things to the tribunal, they get a mulligan. <laughs> you see that That's happen? right. With Frank saw it several times. Several times. He's just like, oh, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. Hang on, let me try again. Yeah, and that's and that is kind of how it goes: is that witnesses can just kind of restate what they saw if they got it wrong, um, or if they're lying. Uh, which you know this this witness obviously is for most of oh, yeah. his testimony. Oh yeah, because this is the murder. It makes me realize that we didn't actually go over what happens in the case. Is that something that we want to talk about? You know what? That's a good point. Maybe we should make that part of our opening narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, or perhaps we, this would be the time to talk. Yeah, about Yeah. Well, it. we can do it now, but like you know, in future episodes. We yeah. Can. No, we are. We are still learning, folks. Yep. But yeah, okay, so basically what happens, the the sort of arc of this case is that first uh, Larry Butts is called to talk about the fact that the the victim was actually his girlfriend. So he's he's a mess. Or so we think. Or so we think. It's unclear whether... No, they, like she, she definitely broke up girlfriend. with him. <laughs> no. But Larry thinks that they're still together. And so he is questioned about his obvious motive, um, because it turns out the girlfriend does not think yeah, they are still together. she's been dating around. She's been um, doing other stuff. After he's called, and in fact, while he's still sworn as, as a witness, they call a second witness, which is this Frank Saw It character. I'm not making any of these names up, by the way. This yeah. is the game. This is, this is where we are. He's um, Mr. Saw It. He's Mr. Saw It. So he comes in and testifies that he found the body, and he knows exactly what time it was. It was 1 p.m., and he saw Larry leaving the scene. 
and he knows that Larry must have been the one who killed her. Then uh, we back it up a sec, and he takes his first mulligan, because it's established that he believed it was one o'clock at the time of murder, but her autopsy says she was killed around four. That's right. So then he backs it up and he's like, oh wait, no, I, I'm sorry, I was confused. Actually, what happened was I heard someone say it was one o'clock. She must have been watching a video on her television that said it was one o'clock. So then we, of course, can go back to the piece of evidence that was already entered into the record saying that there was a blackout in Cindy's building from 12 to 6. So there was definitely no television happening because no one had power. Right. So then we determined that the uh, murder weapon, which had already been entered into evidence as a statue of the thinker, was actually a clock (laughs) of a statue of the thinker. So the thinker says things out loud when uh, When you tilt its head. head. So presumably the impact... I'm sorry, this is the murder weapon. We already know that. Yes. So presumably the impact set off the voice and had it say the time. Yes. So then Phoenix is saying, like, no, you're the murderer because you knew what time it was. You must have hit her with the clock, which made it say it was one o'clock. And then Frank's like, oh, yeah, well, if you're so smart, then why did it say one o'clock instead of four o'clock? If you can't prove this, your whole case falls apart, which, no, that's not how. It really isn't how Super not how, um, especially. It is how it works in battle court. Which is another thing that's dystopian, though, that I want to mm-hmm. touch on, which mm-hmm. is that Frank's not the one who's on trial right now. Larry's the one who's on trial right now. Yes. So the standard, the burden of proof for Larry is, is they have to show beyond um, the language that you'll hear used in American systems is show beyond a reasonable doubt that, yes, Larry did this. So Phoenix has already introduced reasonable doubt. That's a very low bar for this mm. because it looks like maybe Frank was the one who killed her. Yeah. So... Phoenix doesn't actually have to do more than this under American court systems in order to have exonerated Larry. They can have a whole separate process and probably would have a whole separate process at that point about like, okay, was Frank the one who murdered her? And that would be the time where you would talk about like, why did it say one o'clock? But in here in Phoenix Rightland in battle court, we treat it like clearly Larry's going to be on the hook for murder unless we can show why the clock said one o'clock, not four o'clock. Yeah, literally we have to have beyond... A shadow of a doubt. Beyond a shadow of a doubt about we somebody else's case. We have to know who case. did it. We can't just say that Larry didn't do it. We have to know who did it. Or else it's got to be Larry. Uh, right, obviously. That's how it works. That's how it works in dystopian battle court. It sure is. So, of course, we are able to look at the fact that it's been entered into evidence when we entered the victim's passport that she had just traveled from Paris, which is nine hours ahead, which, as Kaylin note, noted earlier, places us somewhere in the West Coast, so probably California, Yeah. right? Because... Her clock wasn't saying it's 1 p.m. three hours ago when uh, Frank hit her with it. It was saying it's 1 a.m., nine hours ahead. So there we did it. We solved the case. And Larry is exonerated. And Frank, of course, gets arrested and taken away before the trial is over, which is super not dystopian at all, by the way. (laughs) Oh, boy. So, yeah, so this whole system is wild. And then then Larry Butts immediately develops a crush on our boss and gives her the additional clock that he made for himself. Yes, because apparently Larry Butts made... 
made both the clock that was a murder weapon and a separate clock. So they had like couples clocks. Yeah. Very weird. Yeah. So, um, so, and then we see something at the very end that says like, you know, Phoenix is telling his boss, oh yeah, I'll tell you how I became a lawyer because of Larry. Overdrinks sometime soon. And then Phoenix mentions to us as a kind of throwaway statement, but I never got to do that. Because she dies. <laughs> she doesn't directly say she dies, but it's very No, but yeah, life. yeah. No, but the, yeah, because she dies. The, next, the beginning of the next case will feature the murder of our boss. Yeah. So. And, uh, and the subsequent solving of that case. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's our system here. That's, that's the world we're living in. Our mm-hmm. boss gets murdered immediately after getting a, a yeah. gifted a twin of a murder weapon. Like I said, it's a shonen anime. <laughs> All right. So this, this kind of leads us into our verdict. Kaylin, what do you think of this game? What do you think of, of Larry Butts' murder trial? I think that uh, Phoenix, the Phoenix Wright games were a narrative innovation during a time when visual novels were still mostly just a Japanese thing. The Phoenix Wright series was one of the first VNs to really get a super wide Western audience, and it introduced people to a new genre of video game. Also, it had clever and fun puzzles that were sometimes extremely obtuse, but at the time, that's kind of what you got. I think that it it, ha- it features some truly atrocious storytelling and some some very weird world building that I I don't really understand. But there's no question that it had a big impact on games and game design going forward. And this was this was originally put out in the '90s, right? We're playing the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't first remember. Trial of the first I don't game. remember the exact date. I should probably just look it up. But like, but decades ago. Yeah, for sure. it, it's an older game. Um, the uh, the first games, I believe, were. Was it on the Nintendo DS or the Advance? It was quite some time ago. I remember playing it on the old school DS back in the early 2000s. Yeah, so that tells you something. I'm sorry, mid 2000s. Okay. Yeah. Um, And what do you think of Larry Butts in particular? Was this a particularly good example? I do not like that character at all. (laughs) Larry Butts is one of my less favorite characters because he's like meant to be this big-hearted schlemiel, basically. Mm -hmm. He's just like he's he's an ill-fated fool. But, like, also, like, he's kind of a misogynist and doesn't pay attention to anyone and is incredibly self-centered. Okay. So it's like, he's comic relief. He's a best friend character. We've seen this trope in a lot of media. Uh, I'm bored of it. And, and like, you know, I wasn't as bored of it back then, but I'm sure bored of it now. Yeah, that's fair. Sometimes things that become cliches, before they're cliches, it's a different landing experience. I I think that that Phoenix himself does a decent job of being a lovable butt monkey, like where he's constantly making mistakes and he's kind of a dunderhead, but he's much more endearing than Larry, who doesn't seem to be aware that other people have feelings. So I'm taking from this very uh, in-depth summary that we see Larry several times again. We will, this. yeah. Okay, no, so most of the characters... Character. Well, once you've made all those character portraits, you're not just going to use them for an episode. <laughs> you know, like, point. asset recycling is important. That's a fair point. <laughs> so, okay, so that's what you thought of the Larry Butts trial. I Yes, it is. I have to say, this was my first exposure to a phenomenon that I am 30 years late to joining, and I thought it was fun. I nice. enjoyed, like, I understood it was a tutorial, and so it was going to be a little clunky as a result of that. Watching this as a lawyer, 
absolutely wild. <laughs> just like <laughs> such a weird experience and also kind of disturbing, but but fun. Like it was a fun disturbing. The more you think about it, the more troubling it is. Yes, exactly. It's a and real so, fridge horror. And I, I think probably the more horrific aspects jump out to me more quickly of because course. I'm an attorney, because there are all these implications that are just immediately apparent. You know why those regulations exist. Didn't they like redo the court system at some point? I think so. And, yeah, yeah. The wiki references it. I'm sure it comes up in game, but I don't remember. Um, well, we'll find out diegetically then. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> okay, so um, so we're we're willing to keep going on Phoenix Wright, not as in, not as enamored of Larry Butts, but you know he'll be back. Yeah, but you know, like I had fun with the case as well, and I'm looking forward to you getting to see the investigation part two, which is actually pretty fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. We didn't incredibly get to see unprofessional, that. but oh, like very fun. Oh, I bet. <laughs> but you know. I look forward to it. Yeah, okay. me too. So that was the the very first client of Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, let's wrap up by talking about stuff that's on our minds right now related to causes and games. Uh, what have you got in media res? What's, oh. what, you, what you got going on in terms of playing games and causes you're thinking about? You go first. I go first. Yeah, okay. I forgot to think about this ahead of time. <laughs> Okay. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. All right. Um, so in terms of games that we're um, working on thinking about right now, I am thinking about Vintage Story, which Kaylee had me play yeah. for the first time last night. I had a grand old time. Oh, I'm so glad. She was uh, very kind and turned off nighttime for me for the first few days so that I could get situated, which I very much appreciate. Oh, to be fair, I, I skipped the manually, which is a little bit less automatic than just skipping them entirely. Okay, that's fair. So Kaylee put an extra work to make sure that I did not get, like, eaten by a Gru on my first day. <laughs> not that I think there are Grus in this game because it's based off of Minecraft, but you know what I mean. I mean, they're sort of Gru-like creatures, but they won't eat us because we uh, set them to oh, passive. that's true. We did set everything to passive, which is another kind for- of accommodation Kaelin made for me. Hey, if I, if I'm, I'm here to have fun. If I mess around with other things, they will try to kill me, but if I leave them alone, they leave me alone, which I appreciate very much. So, just to say a little bit more about what Vintage Story is, because I'm realizing I talked much more about what Galen did than the game itself. <laughs> it's um, it started out life as a Minecraft mod, right? Uh, yeah, it did. It was originally, I think that it was inspired by the Terra Firmacraft mod, which okay. is very popular, which then became, you know, they split off to become their own mod, Vintage Craft. Oh, neat. And then that coding team decided that they would prefer to just work from their own engine. So they started over from scratch. Oh, nice. And okay. so Vintage Story is built on a cross-platform engine that's made from scratch, which is why it runs really good on most machines. Yeah, it did run really smoothly, I have to say. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. It was, and it was very fun. It's, um, it's a more in-depth kind of version of Minecraft, so you need more specific materials. I'm still in the very beginning stages, but I had a good time running around finding cattails to turn into baskets and um, finding different berries on trees that I, or excuse me, berries on bushes that I could um, yes. harvest to feed myself. And to tuck the bush itself and, under your yeah, arm and take and it home. <laughs> much like in Minecraft, you can just kind of take that bush with you. You sure can. <laughs> and then we, we created a little berry patch once we set up a, a shelter. So it was very fun. Um, I look forward to playing that more. That's a game that I'm me starting too. to get into. Um, it's a nice symmetry. I'm starting a game while we're starting this podcast. Yeah. Um, in terms of causes that I'm thinking about right now, kind of got a lot bouncing around in my brain. I'm still thinking a lot about um, next steps after the horrific 
court uh, season we just had from the Supreme Court. Um, yeah. So I know we've talked before, Kaylin's talked while streaming and I've talked in um, the National News Roundup about things that you can do to respond to the Dobbs decision, uh, which is the decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. So there's a lot of different things that folks can be doing to help. Um, absolutely the biggest thing that you can be doing to help on that by far is um, contributing to the infrastructure that already exists for this. This is an issue that people have been anticipating coming for a long time. There is a huge amount of um, activism infrastructure that's already in place. We recommend donating to um, reproductive freedom funds. We recommend donating to um, entities, uh, but both on the national level and, and more locally. Um, I know Kaylin- I was uh, gonna use one of those actually. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to steal yours. That's okay, that's okay, <laughs> but it's the one that I have handy. Okay, well, I'll, I'll let Kaylin talk about that. Thanks. But you can also donate to, um, there are some bail funds that are starting to be um, generated in order to support people who have been charged with things related to accessing um, re reproductive health services. Um, so that's probably most on my mind right now. Uh, there are a number of other cases that I'm thinking about trying to respond to. Is, um, we can certainly talk more about that um, in later weeks. I think there's less immediacy on some of the, the voting-related issues in some ways, although obviously we have an election coming up in four months, so it'll be relevant in that sense. So yeah, that's what's on my mind right now. Um, how about you, Kaylee? What games are you playing? What causes have you got going on? Well, of course, I'm still playing lots of Vintage Story myself. Also, um, I've started playing uh, Raft again because it's it's finally out of early access. It hit 1.0. This is a survival game that takes place on an, on a waterlogged world that's strongly implied to be post-apocalyptic. You're floating along on uh, an improvised raft, and as you collect the materials that float by, you expand that raft. All throughout, uh, there's an immortal shark hunting you, and you know, like, given the rules of the game, you're generally immortal too. So I kind of think, kind of think of it as like an eternal Ishmael uh, sort of dynamic, where it's just there's, you know, there are these mortal enemies who kind of keep one another company on the endless ocean. It's fun to romanticize it, because also, why is this shark following me around? Um, <laughs> I so, love that you said it's fun to romanticize, and then said, why is this shark following me around? I can't romanticize <laughs> anything without also being profane about well, it. Well, no, I mean, you're implying that the shark has a crush on you. I mean, no. Romantic... <laughs> Well, maybe he does. You know what? I don't mean to structure that shark's experience. That's Listen, I can't speak for Bruce. Okay. But that being said, I got to play that with my friend Zandra, who is also a streamer. And we did that on stream for the very, like, our very first go at it. And we had a lot of fun. We found ourselves both really enjoying that stream, and we're going to do it again. That's um, awesome. For causes, I do want to, like, reference, like, the local direct action fund that I, my uh, other persona gra used because it's easy to remember it is a local org it was vetted by uh my spouse <laughs> and it's called the yellow hammer fund and you can go to yellowhammerfund.org to donate if you'd like to do that and they specifically do um, mutual aid and support for folks who are seeking mm -hmm. reproductive services in, in southern the, in yeah the in south. the deep south specifically where um a which is where a lot of trigger laws have already gone into effect exactly. and people really need the support quickly yes i've decided based on what you just said that we should add another segment, which is talking about um, just a minute about our other projects. Because sure. we both referenced them. And That's fair. So That's tell fair. everybody what Gra's deal is and where they can find Gra. Sure. Grahuru Buffo is a cartoon hyena lady. And I uh, voice act as her when I am playing as a VTuber on Twitch. 
Um, you can find me at twitch.tv slash grawstreams. Graw likes to do chill streams, such as Vintage Story and Raft, uh, mostly survival craft games played at a slow pace, usually with uh, chill hop music playing. I use a lot of lo-fi girl because they let you do that on your stream without, like, doing copyright strikes. And if you thought either of the games we just talked about were interesting, Graw streams them both. That's right. And while we're uh, talking about things we referenced and should give context for, <laughs> um, I also mentioned the National News Roundup briefly when um, talking about law earlier. Um, the National News Roundup is a weekly news summary that I put out for free every week at nationalnewsroundup.org. So if you find the news very important but also really hard to digest, which a lot of people do right now, I'm creating summaries that help break that down and hopefully make it a little more palatable. Although I cannot uh, make any assurances about the quality of content because the news often sucks but uh so yeah so that's that's what we've got going on in addition to this here legal griefing podcast which we are premiering right now uh we hope you enjoyed it please feel free to let us know if you have any feedback or you have things you would love to see us take on in legal uh courtroom game contexts that's right and you know Please feel free to play along with us if you feel so inclined, but we will be going over the details of the cases, so no pressure. Yeah, this is not intended to require you to also play um, Phoenix Wright or Aviary Attorney or any of the other things we're going to be tackling. Uh, but if you do, feel free to tell us about it. Also, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Inurashi. That's I-N-U-R-A-S-H-I-I. Oh, that's a good point. Just DM Inurashi if you have feedback for yes, now. Yes, <laughs> that's right. And and you post NNR stuff at Kara Herbitz, I do, correct? yes. I have a professional Twitter account, which is just my name. It's at Kara Herbitz on Twitter. Um, I mostly share um, my summaries. I do occasionally share other advocacy news and information there. And feel free to follow it. Cool. All right. Well, thanks very much, everybody. Yes. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us. We don't have a tagline yet. That's no, okay. That's fine. All right. Thank you for joining us. We don't have a tagline. Bye. Bye.